Welcome to Episode 3 of Ideal, the podcast that explores how great ideas get made. And thank you for listening. You're listening to Count Your Blessings, written and performed by today's guest, Mateel Brown. This art director and singer-songwriter is coloring outside the lines of her day job at MailChimp and breaking into rock music with a cinematic, self-titled debut album that's classic yet somehow seems written two decades in the future. Mateel is available from Burger Records and heavily in the UK right now, and on your favorite streaming service, if that's your thing. Give it a listen, and you can hear and see more of Mateel's work at Mateel.com. Welcome my next guest, Mateel Brown. Mateel, welcome to Ideal. Mateel Brown, welcome to Ideal, and thank you so much for taking time out of a Sunday to hang out. Sure. So today, we're going to be talking about Count Your Blessings. How did Count Your Blessings come to be? How the process usually goes is that Randy, Michael, and Jonas Willie, who I work with and write with, they have their own production studio. And they come up with the song structures for every track. They came to me with a song structure, and I wrote these words to it and the melody. And I was going through a really hard time at the time with a skin condition where I was reacting to a prescription drug, which is not a very glamorous thing to talk about, so I won't spend too much time referring to that. But the writing of the song was derived from, I guess, what I was going through at that time. Uh, trying to get myself through it and actually right now it's very popular in the UK it's being played um, on BBC six and BBC one in London and uh, when we went to go play shows over there recently on our uh, summer tour um, uh, it was really crazy that all these people that had come to these shows knew the music so you've really found an audience in the UK recently right yeah so we put out the record actually it's gonna be out in next week on Friday July 15th it's coming out on heavenly the uh, heavenly recordings is the name of the record label um, so they've been getting a lot of radio play for us and uh, it's exciting shout out to UK listeners so taking it back to your very first time recording in studio I read that you re- recorded your first demo which was a cover on a whim at three or four in the morning. What made you make that call to start recording and find your voice? I was going through this really tough time with my physical health and uh, I had some kind of creative impulse that came from that where I, I just wanted to make something. I'd never written music with anybody or written any music at all. I had been singing in my car for a few years just to kind of see if I could do it secretly without telling anybody. Uh, And kept that to myself for a really long time. And I was really, really afraid and like really shy to sing in front of anybody at the time. But I I just decided to do it uh, because I thought I could. So a lot of listeners uh, recognize immediately you have an an incredibly distinct voice. How did you find that voice? Did you find it in the car? Yeah. I mean, I would drive to high school 
every morning, which is about a 20-minute drive from this farmhouse I grew up on to this uh, high school, Whitewater High School in Fayetteville, Georgia. And yeah, I, during that time, I was I would just be by myself and I could be in this like little metal chamber <laughs> and no one could hear me. So I, ha- I had every reason to just want to see what I could do without having to be embarrassed in front of anyone else. Zero consequences yeah. at first. Yeah. <laughs> Did finding your physical voice help you develop and find your voice as an art director? I would say it's the other way around. I never thought that uh, the music project, I never realized that it could have so much potential. No one prepares you or tells you that you're going to make it or you're going to, you know, be received well as a musician because there's so many different people trying and it's such a saturated market. The process of making the music is largely informed by what I learned as a designer. That was my like sustainable plan for my adult life was, was starting a design career. So your day job as an art director at MailChimp, do you approach songwriting the way you would approach a creative brief? In a similar way, um, you start with nothing. Maybe there's some direction from somebody as for like what's what's needed and what you need to complete for the task. And I guess that direction would be what Randy and Jonah come to me with. I don't really touch that very much. I let them do their own thing and um, kind of tie it all up best I can with what I can add to it. There's a lot of puzzle pieces that have to be put together and the same on their end, like there's nothing, it's all pulling it out of thin air. We just end up with what we end up with and try to make it the best we can. And it's very, you know, the time constraints are uh, also a big part of it. Like we don't like to take it too far or work on a song for weeks and weeks. It's really fairly quick. Do you find that if you overcook it and grind on it too much that just takes the magic out of it? Yeah, and I think Jonah and Randy know that's something that, that that can happen, so so they don't want that to happen. They'd rather capture the time. You do notice that your music, there's this emotion and raw energy, and especially in your live shows, it's it would be a shame to have that ground down out of the process. Right, yeah. And it's getting a little weird because the first album, I was writing it without expecting anybody to hear it. I, I really almost had expectations that no one would hear it and it wouldn't get out there and I'm glad that it has but there's a vulnerability there that I I had never really played with before and it's kind of scary but I'll just continue on. (laughs) What does that feel like to have an international audience hear that vulnerability and have access to that vulnerability when it was just kind of writing for an audience of one initially? Well I hope that everybody who hears the music takes it uh, in their own way and has their own interpretation of it and surprisingly enough I don't really remember much about that time it feels like a very long time ago to me so uh answering questions about the songs becomes difficult sometimes because I don't really remember what I was writing about absolutely Uh, so I hope that it, it takes on a meaning of its own for the listeners in the terms of musical careers uh four years is very very compressed how did you go from day job at at MailChimp, full-time art director, to really getting this off the ground and getting it going and getting audiences and a fan base. A lot of people have helped. Largely Randy and Jonah wouldn't have happened without those two who write and produce. Getting in touch with Berger helped a lot too, but they sent the record to Third Man and Ben Blackwell at Third Man, who's actually um, Jack White's nephew. 
he was really crazy about the record and told a lot of people about it. And slowly over the course of a few months in 2017 and 2018, we kind of made friends with them and and, uh, subsequently got this five-date tour with uh, Jack White as he kicked off his American tour in the Midwest. So you got to demo in front of Jack White. Was it at Third Man or some some record office, right? Ben invited us to do an in-store show. So we went and played a set in-store. And I knew there was a chance that Jack would be there. And <laughs> we were in the break room and I was drinking a beer. And I see his silhouette kind of walk by. And, and this whole this whole attitude flushes over me like, all right, here, here it is. Like, this is getting really real now. You better you know, figure this out and do the best that you can do. So he was in the audience watching the whole show. And from that point forward, it's been pretty quick. I mean, they have a lot of followers. So when they post something on their blog, a lot of people listen. What did you learn about yourself from performing in front of the Jack White? I thought that it it would be very difficult. I had imagined it before it happened and I thought it would be harder, but I learned that it was actually easier. It made me want to um, take on the challenge and take it seriously, but also have fun with it. And it was not as scary as I thought it would be. Interesting. Your your live performances have very soulful, but almost a punk energy as well. Did you turn up that energy for an audience with Jack White in it? I just pulled out, you know, the rawest, most visceral side of me that I could because I, I knew that that's, that would be well received. What an insane opportunity. Both Count Your Blessings and White to Their Eyes have really been helped by very compelling music videos to accompany the songs, and you played in a critical role in directing and editing those. Talk about crossing over your skill in art direction and and bringing those visual representations of the songs to life. Sure, so Jason Travis is a photographer and videographer that I worked with at MailChimp when I first started and he's really largely responsible for bringing me onto the team and working with a art director named Ron Lewis and this was my really first adventure into videography and content creation and a visual message messaging and I had always known that I could do it I could all I always kind of felt like I would I would be good at it but they really trained me quite well studio work happens and is put together so Jason and I did the first video uh shot it in California I rented a horse and uh (laughs) (laughs) did some some crazy shots out there and part of it was filmed in Georgia so I rented some fireworks and we went to Arabia Mountain for some of the shots yeah so we'll shoot all the footage it's mostly just starting with a very rough idea, nothing conceptual, and getting as much footage as possible, and then cutting it all together at the end. And I, I would say every music video we've done to date has been the same process. It's just like, get all the footage you can possibly get, figure out the rest later, and make sure you do a lot of quick cuts so nobody gets bored. <laughs> it's insane how much ground you can cover with a really scrappy crew who wants to get shit done. What, what size of crew were you working with on these videos? Um, they look so cinematic and big. Well, the first one for Whites of Their Eyes was just me and Jason, and we managed to pull that off, just the two of us, between several days of shooting. And the second one was mostly also just the two of us. Yeah, count your blessings with all the food being thrown and everything that was <laughs> um, with the help of some friends. But as far as shooting and editing it, um, Jason and I did a, the bulk of it. But this most recent one that we shot on a dry lake bed north of L.A. for a song called Bye Bye, Jason Travis and Troy Staines who also worked with me at MailChimp. Both of them helped me out with that, and and Troy is a great cinematographer, so we had a lot of great shots to work with towards the end. Does that rapport help both teams? Like, oh, we trust you, Mateel, and you 
trust your collaborators right. as well. Right, yeah. I try, I mean, I know their sense of humor. I think it's, uh, I, I understand it and I am on the same wavelength. Generally, they're not, I mean, 95% of the time they're going to be shooting shots that I love and they know, I guess they have a pretty good idea of how I would like to be portrayed. So I like to inject humor, things like that. So they're very into that and I trust them. So with this bye-bye video, especially, I was very hands-off really with the uh, whole storyline and everything. I just kind of wanted to see what, what they could put together. But he's saying it's do or die. It's incredible to see the progression of the visual as well as of your music as well. Talk about the importance of a music video in the age of Instagram. Yeah, I mean, you kind of can't get away with not having a visual identity nowadays, which in some ways is really cool and really fun, but in other ways can be draining and you're comparing yourself with other people all the time. You're never cool enough. Like you, you can never be cool enough and you can never have as, enough views. So that can be a little draining. Uh, if, if you take it too seriously but otherwise I'm just out there to have fun I just want to have a good time and make people smile and I don't I don't want to you know hit people over the head too hard with with something too serious so your whole career is a testament to DIY super scrappy teams going out on a limb to record a demo in the first place and that stems from a decision you made in design school to drop out of school Talk about the perspective of dropping out of a design program when it happened versus how you look at it today. I'm glad I did it. I think college is something really different now than it was 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago. So it was right for me to do it. I was uh, an intern at MailChimp when I made that decision to leave school and my creative director, I asked him for advice and I asked my co-workers for advice and most of the time they were they were trying to get me to stay in school and they didn't want to be responsible for giving me advice to leave and they <laughs> I mean they they were at least 15 years older than me most of them and I understand why they would recommend not leaving but I'm glad I chose to because largely my education has come from working in the field. What is it about being just on the ground doing it yourself versus the theory in classrooms and and talking about it rather than just getting out there and doing it. I could probably use a little more design education. I didn't get a fancy education and I really wanted one, but my family couldn't afford it. So I did the best I could do. I couldn't really figure it out. And the best route I found was to actually work in in the working environment. I think there are still a lot of things to learn, but doing it yourself can teach you a lot and solving problems yourself and figuring out your visual identity yourself can teach you a lot if you have the right people around you. I mean, I've had a lot of really talented people around me to throw things back and forth with. And education these days is such a luxury and privilege, but to be able to focus and buckle down and just build that experience yourself, it's an incredible story. Who do you look up to that's creating kind of their own world of, of vision and sound? Okay, so Bjork, definitely. 
I was just recently at a festival in London called All Points East, and we got there, of course, early because all the bands need to get there before uh, everything's open and crowds can come in. So I walked past, past this stage and I saw all these plants on this giant stage. It was just covered in foliage and plants, giant greenery, and later found out that that was Bjork's stage set. And I made a point to go see her later on during the festival after we'd played. And um, she put on this amazing show. It was just incredible. And she has this huge message of like taking care of the planet and considering your your role in all of this on Earth. And it's it's really huge. And, and just getting to see her performance on this amazing stage that I'm sure her and a full team of designers are setting up. But, you know, largely I, I, I think she's the main approval of all these visuals and she's doing a fantastic job also saint vincent um i think saint vincent's aesthetic is really Mm -hmm. nice you have this sound and look where do you take that next there's there's a visual expectation of of what's to come how do you how do you turn that on its head how do you evolve your sound and look as well i guess we'll see i I don't know I, i kind of just take things as they come and uh whatever new ideas that i have I will try to pull out of my ass <laughs> and uh, and make aesthetic decisions based on the current time. I, I definitely don't uh, like to play too much in the past. I think it's really important to try new things, even if you think things have already been done and everything's already been done. Like you know, you're never gonna get to something unique and new if you don't try to get there. So. There's, yeah, as an, as an artist, I can only imagine the pressure of changing those expectations, yet evolving and growing your fan base has to be insane. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure. I mean, I see a lot of things on Instagram, which is probably not the greatest way of taking in content, but I do it anyway, uh, that, that make me feel like, oh, well, maybe I should be doing this. Like, maybe I should be wearing big cargo pants and, like, tennis shoes that are, you know, like, seven inches high, but uh, we'll see. This new raver aesthetic? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's Mateel 2019? I don't know. I don't know about that. But I, I do feel like it is important to mix a different aesthetic with rock and roll music because you can make it look however you want to make it look. It's such a... A genre that's classic but it yeah with with music changing around it with hip-hop and r&b evolving there's it's almost like an open season on on what rock and roll can become yeah and i've seen a lot of different examples of that recently we did a few dates with portugal the man and their aesthetic is nowhere near like you know what you would think as a as a traditional rock and roll visual aesthetic i mean it's very futuristic and forward thinking and jack white's tour now is is a similar thing he's wearing things i've never seen him wear before and uh i don't think there's anything wrong with that i think it's really exciting gotta keep pushing changing it up right yeah so when is the next album coming out (laughs) definitely next year at some point to be announced but it's it's very exciting we're we're really excited about this next record all right we can't wait to hear it when did you write your first song oh god send it on over was the first first song i've ever wrote no shit yeah that was it and was that recorded pretty shortly after you recorded that cover demo yeah uh must have been the same week yeah no kidding there was a time where randy and jonah and i were staying up until five in the morning because we were so excited and and i guess just vibing on this this new collaborative energy that we found
little bit more about Jonah and Randy and, and, and their background and as collaborators and musicians in their own right. Yeah, so they've both toured a lot. They've been in a lot of bands. Uh, Randy and, and Jonah have a production company together, and they ha- also have like a giant encyclopedia inside of each of their heads of, of all types of music from all types of places, like hip-hop and R&B and uh, classic soul and... 60s mod stuff and uh, any anything from David Bowie, uh, all kinds of stuff from the 80s. I mean, it, they surprise me all the time. They have a lot of things to reference that I don't know anything about. <laughs> so they're a hugely essential part of this project. I know there's a, a UK tour coming up this fall, November, right? Yeah. So uh, in November, we're going to start on our European and UK tour. We're going to start in Utrecht, Netherlands. Uh, on the 4th of November all the way until the 19th of November ending in Bristol and we've got the 12th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 19th we're all in the UK so we'll be coming to your city hopefully and you'll get to see us. UK fans, go see Mateel. Thanks so much for taking time out and thank you for coming to Ideal. Thank you Adam, I appreciate it. 25